I want to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus 3. As we continue in our journey through the book of Exodus, last week we were in Exodus 3 and we, see, we saw Moses encountering God. And in, in encountering God, Moses encounters a holy God, a God who is utterly and completely different. Moses encounters the great I Am, God revealing his name, that he is being itself. We see Moses encounter a personal God and a God who longs to bring deliverance. And now he's going to send Moses to bring deliverance to his people. And I'm going to read our passage. We're going to skip a little bit. We're going to start in chapter 3, verse 9, and read down through verse 14. And then we're going to pick up in chapter 4 as well. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 9. God is speaking to Moses, and he says, Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, and God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And then picking up in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered God, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. And the Lord said to him, What is it that is in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign that they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even those two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and in his mouth, and will reach and will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Now, anytime we, we read and engage in God's word, we're engaging in uh, God's work in previous generations, in previous cultures. This is written thousands of years ago in a particular time and place. And it can be interesting to come to this with all these questions, but we can miss and forget that Moses here is just a person encountering God and all the complexities that that can bring. And I can imagine in this encounter that Moses has with God, it begins with a sense of joy and excitement at what God will bring. You can imagine God here saying to Moses, Moses, the cry of my people, I've heard. Moses initially hears this, he's like, oh, that's awesome, God. God, you're so gracious, you're so loving, you're so kind, that's so boss of you, God, that, that your people hear, that you hear their cry. And then Moses would respond to, or God would respond to Moses something like, yes, I'm going to defeat Pharaoh. I'm going to defeat him. And Moses would hear this and would be like, God, oh man, you're the goat. You're the goat, God. Greatest of all time. This is amazing. And then God would respond to Moses and say, I'm going to deliver my people. They're going to be rescued. They're going to find freedom. And Moses, he's excited now. The bush is talking to him. He's like, yeah. Yeah, this is awesome. And then God would respond, and I'm sending you to do it. And right there in that moment, you can imagine Moses' dread, like, no, no, no. You know, Moses is going to argue with God. He's going to ask God these five questions, arguing that God needs to send someone else, that God has it wrong. He's excited about the work God is going to do, but he's very nervous about the agent who he's sending to do it. And we learn here in this interaction, this encounter, where God is revealing who he is to Moses. We learn something about the kind of person and people that God wants to encounter the world with. Moses asks five questions, revealing the nature of who he is, and we see in his questions, we see the kind of person that God wants to work through in the world. And so this morning, we're, look, practically, what are, four, what are four things we learn about the kind of person that God sends to bring deliverance? Four things. Who does God work through? The first thing we learn here is this, that God sends people who are broken and flawed. God sends imperfect people. In verse 10, God says to Moses that he's going to send him to bring deliverance. And Moses' initial response is very telling. In verse 11, Moses says to him, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God says to Moses, listen, there's two things I want to do. Two things. I'm going to send someone to Egypt and I'm sending someone to lead my people. I'm sending a person to Egypt to a particular place where there's a particular struggle and I need this person to lead my people. Now, imagine if God came to you, said, okay, I need some help. What is the kind of person we would look for in this task? I often like to imagine that God would come to me for advice. And if he did here, I'd say, okay, God, well, what are we doing here? What's the plan? Well, we're going to Egypt and we need to lead my people out. All right, this is good to know. Okay, so let's think of the resume. I mean, God, you're God. You could, you could pick anybody. So who are we looking for in this situation? Probably someone with influence. Someone with influence. Someone 
who may know someone in power. And, and we like to think of this today when we think of someone who would be called or sent to do some good work. If someone knows the mayor, that would be good. It would be bonus if they knew the governor. Extra bonus if they knew the president. If someone knew the president, you can imagine the influence they would have and, and the work that could be done. And it would be extra, extra, extra bonus if they knew a celebrity. They could have Instagram pictures with Justin Bieber, the celebrity they know. We would think, yes, this is the kind of person who could do a great work. But Moses, you can imagine what he's thinking. He's thinking, you know, I know Pharaoh, and he kicked me out. <laughs> I was kicked out of Egypt. I'm like the opposite person you would want to return to Egypt to bring deliverance. So strike one, Moses has the opposite of influence. He's already in deficit with Pharaoh. So then we'd say, okay, God, all right, so influence isn't Moses' thing. Maybe Moses, he's a, a person of great power and might and strength, and he has a career, the kind of career that exemplifies the qualities we would want in someone leading God's people out. But here we learn that Moses, at the very beginning in chapter 3, says that Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, that Moses is a shepherd. And at this time, the Egyptians look at, looked at shepherds as the worst possible occupation. Worst occupation. It would be the one thing you didn't want to be in this particular culture. Moses doesn't have the right occupation. He doesn't have the right amount of influence. We would say to God, okay, God, no. Moses is the opposite of the person you would want to send on this task. And here we reveal what God wants to do. You see, we want people of social influence and power, and God wants to teach us where true influence and power rests. God is illustrating the kind of person he's wanting to send in his work. And we see this in the story of Jesus. We see, we see this in the story of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Who was Jesus' mom? Who does God choose to be the mother of his son? A poor teenage girl. Who does Jesus send to make disciples? He sends a collection of ordinary, not influential, not very powerful people. He sends someone who's a tax collector. Now, a tax collector is someone you didn't trust. He sends fishermen, just someone with an ordinary occupation. And Jesus wants to work in their life to transform it, to use their brokenness and their past so that they can become fishers of men. See, God wants to work and redeem our brokenness. And in that work, our greatest effectiveness is found. God wants to redeem Moses' story. He wants to bring healing to the wounds of Moses' past because he knows there is true power and strength. So as you think about yourself, what are the particular areas of brokenness in your story? The particular sources of wounds and pains in your life? The qualities that you think, God, he can't use me. He can't bring healing through me in this area because I, this is a wound for me. Uh, one priest and author, Richard Rohr, in his book, Arise from Darkness, he talks about this. He's talking about the kind of person that can bring healing to others. He says this, in general, the only people I really trust 
doing reconstruction, that is helping those who are hurting. The only people I truly trust doing reconstruction work are people who have paid their dues to deconstruction. If someone has never been able to see the dark side, they, have, they haven't gained the right to talk the language of reconstruction. What Roar is saying here is this, that unless you've experienced healing, unless you've seen and tasted the dark side, then all you really have to offer is advice that you've heard from others. But once you have firsthand experience in the dark side of life, and the healing that God can bring. Now there's strength. There's work. There's redemption. And so what are the particular wounds in your story? Maybe it's in something like mental health. Maybe you've struggled with deep depression. And if that's you, and maybe that's where you are this morning, think about it. Who are the kind of people that can really help you? When you struggle with deep depression, often, you know, the optimist, the natural optimist in life, the people who easily and quickly always find a silver lining in everything, sometimes, oftentimes, when you're in depression, that's not very helpful. But when someone can relate with you, when they understand what it's like to be in seasons of despair, when they understand what it's like to question whether or not to live, you know, those people can in unique and powerful in particular ways, they can speak to your situation. And God may want to bring healing to you, that you can bring healing to others. Maybe for you it's addiction. Addiction, maybe addiction to pornography, addiction to alcohol, substance abuse. Maybe that's been a particular struggle in your life, and God wants to bring healing and then invite you to bring healing to others. Maybe it's relational pain and loss, the death of a, of a loved one, and a particular pain and anguish that comes from that. Maybe it's abuse. Maybe it's relational conflict. What are the wounds in your story? The people most effective at bringing healing are wounded healers. See, God doesn't want to work through just our, just our strengths. He wants to bring strength in our brokenness to bring healing to others. Who does God work through? Broken and flawed people. We also see that God sends people with questions. <laughs> he sends people with questions. In verse 13, Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? <laughs> a, very, a good question. What's your name, God? You would think that uh, Moses would already have this figured out. Uh, God is wanting to send someone who doesn't even know his name. Moses here, he's not seminary trained. He hasn't passed the theological exam. He's no master of God. Also, in asking for God's name, Moses is questioning God's credentials. Who are you, God? What can you do in this situation? Moses is, he's doubting God. And this also is a pattern of the kind of people God sends to do his work. God is always sending doubters. He's always sending people with questions. He does this with Abraham. He does it with Gideon. Last summer, we looked at the story of Gideon and Gideon dominated by fear. We also see again in Jesus sending his disciples. You know, it's very interesting. We point this out a lot and, and it, because it's powerful and worth pointing out. Jesus, at the end of his ministry in Matthew, he commissions his disciples 
But there's this interesting statement right before he sends them out. In verse 16, Jesus says this. He says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. After Jesus' resurrection, right before Jesus sends them out, some of the disciples are doubting. Jesus commissions his disciples to go, and he commissioned doubters, people with questions. After Jesus' resurrection, they still have questions, and that's where many of us are today. We have questions. And there is courage and freedom in asking questions. There is courage and freedom in being able to say sometimes, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have it all figured out. You know, in preparation for ministry, I had the opportunity to go to seminary. And seminary is a good place. It's not required for vocational ministry, but it's a good place. And there's the, but there's a temptation in seminary. The temptation to think that you'll get all your questions answered with nice, easy answers. And that's often not what happens. And that's really not what should happen. A lot of seminarians are people full of pride. They think they can have it all figured out. But I remember one time a professor of mine shared about what he does in a doctoral exam. In a doctoral exam, you've, when you're there, you've put together years of research, and you're now going to be interviewed by your professors, and they're going to grill you with questions. And so there's a lot of nerves when you enter into that exam. You want to pass. If you don't pass, then all your years of research and work could be for nothing. And, he's, and my professor said in those particular moments, he likes to push the candidate until they get to a place where they, can, where they have to say, I don't know. And you can imagine if you're that person, they're pushing you and you think you need to have all the answers and then like, I don't have an answer for that one. Have I failed? And for the professor to say no, being able to say you don't know is actually a strength. Now there's the temptation to think we, we need to have it all figured out, to have all the answers, but none of us will have it all figured out. None of us will ever have it all figured out. There will always be questions. And God understands this. And being able to recognize the mysteries of life, the complexities of life, takes courage and is a strength. And at Scarlet City, we want to be a place where you can ask questions. Not a place where you put on the mask of having all the answers, but a place where you can just be honest about questions. Questions about God. Questions about yourself. Questions about the world. Uh, just this past week at our city group, we're studying the book of James. And I love James, particularly because one of the reasons I like James so much is because he seems to be at odds with Paul. And our group, we dove right there, and we're getting to the heart of it. We're getting to questions. And, you know, there can be a part of me, I think, for some people that get nervous about that. Like, Jay, why do you want us to ask these hard questions that don't, there doesn't always seem to be a nice, easy answer for how is this good? You know, how, what's the strength in having questions that we don't always have a good, easy answer for? Well, one, I think it humbles us, but also it's honest. Because when we live our life with simple answers, you know, life is not always simple. In life, there are problems, there are things that happen that simple, easy answers aren't often the solution to. And God, God, I mean, to think that we will have him figured out, 
that we will figure out the creator, the I am? There will always be questions about God. And coming to that place where we're okay with that tension is a strength, not a weakness. God sends people who are questioned. God sends Moses with questions. We can resist the temptation to have it all figured out. Who are the kind of people that God sends? He sends uh, people who question him. We also see the kind of questions that Moses has about himself. God sends people who doubt themselves. God sends people not just doubt him, but he sends people who doubt themselves. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Moses answers God. He says, but behold, they, the Israelites and the Egyptians, when he goes back, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they, for they will say the Lord did not appear to him. Moses is saying, listen, I, I have no credibility here. They're not going to believe me. And when they hear my voice, Moses picks up this idea of his voice in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your sermon. I am slow of speech and tongue. Moses sees the greatness of the task that God is calling him to. Moses sees God sending him to bring deliverance of his people. What a task, what an important work. But then Moses sees himself. He sees that he is utterly incapable of doing this. Why would they listen to him? I mean, his voice, he doesn't even speak well. I love God's response here. How does God respond to Moses doubting himself? You know, God doesn't say, Moses, ah, oh, come on. You're being too hard on yourself. Moses, you're being too hard on yourself. Give yourself a break. Be a little more compassionate on yourself. Come on. You know, Moses, you're dangerous. You're dangerous, Moses. Pharaoh, he's going to be scared of you. He's going to be scared. God, all the people, you're going to show up. They're going to listen to everything you say. You're going to say, come on, Moses. Look, let's do some power poses here. You know, oh, yeah, like, raise your hands up. This is going to be good. Moses doesn't say, or God doesn't say to Moses, Moses, one day they're going to make a movie about you and Charlton Heston is going to play you. And have you heard his voice? It's God-like. Charlton Heston, that's going to play you. God doesn't respond that way. He doesn't pump them up with a bunch of hot air. God actually basically like acknowledges, yep. Yeah, I know. I'm with you, Moses. Your voice isn't the best and and you're not very strong. But you're trusting in yourself. And you're not going alone. You need to take your eyes off of yourself and your weaknesses. And you need to put it on me. And see my strength. And then it's interesting in the text. God responds with these signs to illustrate his power over creation. Moses puts his staff down and takes it up again. And God is wanting to show Moses that he is the I am, that he has the power to bring deliverance. And then in verse 11, God addresses this, this idea of his lack of good speech. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God is saying, trust me. You're putting your faith in the wrong place. Trust me. Are you living by faith? Are you trusting God? When you think of faith, do you just have doctrinal belief? 
detached from everyday living? Are you trusting in your doctrine about God or are you living that out in everyday life? You know, consider what wrongs in the world would you like to see made right? Moses saw the wrong of God's people in slavery. He wanted to see it addressed. What wrongs would you like to see God address in the world, in your community, in your city? Maybe for you it's addressing racial tension. Maybe addressing the refugee crisis. Maybe addressing poverty. What are the wrongs in the world that you would like to see made right? Now, here's the thing. In your own strength, you will never be able to really address that. And if you're living your life where you're never put at a place where you need to trust God, you're probably playing it too safe. God brings us to these places, like where Moses is right here, where we say, it's too great, God. I cannot do this. I'm not strong enough. My voice isn't eloquent enough. My past, not, not if God, send someone else. Are you living by faith or are you trusting in your own power to get you through? God brings us to a place where we must recognize that without him, there's no chance. There's no shot. Who does God work through? He works through people who are broken. He works through people with questions. He works through people who doubt themselves, who can't do it in their own strength. And lastly, God sends people who are afraid. You know, Moses' last response here in verse 13, you'd expect in this situation, God has he's revealed himself in a burning bush. His holiness is on display. The personal loving nature of God is on display. And then he gives these signs of his power. And you would think that Moses is right here. He'd say, oh, I'm overwhelmed, God. You are amazing and holy and powerful and righteous. And then the music would play in the background and Moses would start getting amped, maybe jump a little bit and he'd leave that burning bush. He'd be excited. We'd think that that would be how it would end. That's not what we find. Verse 13, Moses said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Moses is like, God, look, I'm not playing anymore. I know you've checkmated me, but I just don't want to go on. Send someone else, God, anyone else. And then we see God's response. Then the Lord, the, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. This is, you know, before we look at God's anger, let's look at Moses. Moses is afraid with a legitimate fear. Do you know what it's like to be afraid? You know, sometimes, often when we're young, we have fears that aren't really that legitimate. Uh, when I was a kid, I was afraid of the dark. Uh, my brother and sister, they'll share this anytime you hang out with them, about how I was a scaredy cat as a kid. And, and one of the things I did to protect me in my room is I would get stuffed animals. Anyone know? Okay. You know, my strength is on full display here. Like our pastor had stuffed animals on his bed when he was a kid. I did. I had stuffed animals like Care Bears right there with me in my bed because I was afraid. But a Care Bear, I mean, this is a stuffed animal. It can't really help anything. There's a little bit of an illegitimate fear. There's no one in my room, but I was afraid anyway. You know, that's not the kind of fear Moses has right here. Remember, we're reading this 
thousands of years removed. We, we see terms like Pharaoh and sending God's people to bring deliverance. We think, oh, come on, Moses, just trust God. Moses is being sent by God, who's revealing himself in a burning bush, to the greatest, most powerful nation on the planet, to the most powerful person on the planet, Pharaoh, who Moses has seen firsthand has the power to do what he wants. And God's saying, Moses, go, that's where I'm sending you. If you were Moses, you'd be terrified. I get afraid. I was afraid as a kid being in my own room. I'm afraid still today to have hard conversations with not Pharaoh type people. What are your fears? What are your fears? Often the kind of work that God wants to call us into is dominated by fear. Maybe you've experienced abuse in your past and to address that and to enter into that the story of others, there is great fear. Maybe the fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of death, the kind of fears that just having stuffed animals in your room aren't going to really address. And I love God's response. I find it so fascinating. You know, he gets angry with Moses, and we see God, you know, it's tempting to think that God is just going to get angry and he's going to move on to someone else, but that's not what he does. He doesn't move on to someone else. Moses wants him to, but he doesn't. God accommodates Moses' fear. God wants to care for Moses in his fear. God provides a presence for Moses. First, Aaron, who's a good speaker, provides that presence, but also another presence. Look at how the text ends. Verse 17, remember Moses, we meet Moses in chapter 3. He's a shepherd, and it's a marker of his brokenness and his fall. And then in verse 17, the last thing that God says to Moses, says, I, I want to remind you, Moses, I want to remind you of something. Take in your hand this staff. Take your shepherd's staff, with which you shall do these signs. God is saying, what you see as weakness, I see as strength. And I am going to be with you. I am with you. My power is going with you. My presence is going with you, Moses. You're not going alone. Sure, I've provided Aaron to be a little bit of relief, but the real power will be with me being with you. God is saying, I am with you. I am with you. In your fear, I am there. Again, Jesus, looking at his commissioning of his disciples, this ragtag group of broken, doubting disciples. And he says to them, in his closing commission, he says, all power and authority has been given to me. Go into the world and make disciples. And then he closes with this. I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you. What work is God calling you to uniquely step into? Do you feel your brokenness won't allow you? Do you question your abilities and only see your limitations? Do you have too many questions for God? You haven't figured it all out. Are you just dominated by fear? If the answer to those questions is yes, that doesn't disqualify you. If anything, it qualifies you. God wants to work in your life and through your life, bringing healing to you and then through you, healing 
to others. And when in moments of panic, when you look at the problems and they seem too great, when you look at the work that needs to be done and you feel overwhelmed, remember what Jesus says, I am with you to the end of the age. And we have the privilege to look back and see that God, he came through with Moses and God came through in the disciples. Here we are. I mean, with the disciples, when Jesus gives this commission, I'm sure some of them were like, yeah, right. I mean, look, we're fishermen and tax, Jesus, you're crazy. And here we are. Here we are. Thousands of years later, thousands of miles away, a testimony to God's power and strength to work through broken, ordinary, doubting people. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a powerful God. God, we invite you into our life. We ask that you bring healing. And Lord, grant us the courage to not be paralyzed by ourselves, to not be paralyzed by our questions, to not be paralyzed by our limitations and fears. Lord, we need your empowering spirit. Bring healing, bring strength, bring courage. And send us, God. Send us into the world to bring light in darkness and healing in suffering. It's in your name we pray. Amen.